Welcome everyone tonight to the CCA for this uh, latest industry masterclass from BAFTA Scotland and the Glasgow Film Festival. I am Paul English, as Alison says. This man is Steve Begg, uh, the highly decorated visual effects supervisor of films like Batman Begins, Spectre, Casino Royale, Skyfall and a whole load more. Give him another warm welcome, please. <laughs> Most important thing to tell you all tonight is that you know, as much as you, you, um, we, we see you in a, in a sort of you know a small intimate room setting, but we know that you're seeing us hanging out of a helicopter <laughs> doing this interview. <laughs> Steve was good enough to set this up in advance for us. Uh, Steve, a good place to start tonight, I suppose, is um, to tell us exactly what uh, a visual effects supervisor is. Uh, I mean, it's sort of changed a lot over the years, and what have you. <coughs> courtesy of computer graphics and what have you. And, uh, you know, when I first started in the industry, um, computer graphics basically didn't exist. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, pardon the pun, it's morphed into a new kind of sort of agenda. Um, when I kicked my career off, everything was kind of like, uh, everything involved models, <coughs> uh, models, paintings, painting on glass, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and, in other words, uh, very practical, real stuff. It's now kind of changed into this sort of post-production um, sort of process, which it, uh, didn't exist before. But uh, luckily, um, I've kind of gone with the flow. So uh, it's quite different. Um, basically, I oversee all the visuals uh, and the visual effects that are featured in the films that I work on, you know, whether... Uh, it's uh, you know a big James Bond explosion or something like that. So, and just for the purposes of, I mean, I, I guess you know the people that are here tonight, the majority of them have a an interest in, in this part of, uh, of the world of movies. But specifically, what is the difference between visual effects and special effects? Special effects are real; they're in front of you. They're bullet hits, smoke, wind, fire, rigs that throw the actor around. You know, hydraulics, things like that which, uh, you know, is a, quite an art in itself. Uh, everything we do happens afterwards. So that's why you see the blue screen, the green screen, or whatever. Um, that's when we get busy. Uh, I mean, it's not to say we're not busy on the set, because a lot of the time we're trying to make sure the director doesn't shoot the stuff badly or inappropriately, but uh, uh, primarily it's afterwards, after the shoot. And going back to those early days, then I mean, I guess you could never really have uh, have foreseen that you would have the level of tech at your disposal that you do now. You know, when you were when you were starting out in in, uh, in films, because in those days you were you were very much working with models and miniatures and so on. That's right. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, people like I don't know if you're familiar with Ray Harryhausen, Jerry Anderson, all that kind of stuff. They were like the gods, the icons, and stuff like that. And it was all very practical, you know, they're actually using real objects, but filming them unusually to give you, a, like, a spectacular effect. And it wasn't until you got films like uh, Jurassic Park, Terminator 2 in particular, that you start to see effects that were done in post-production that were just... I mean, ten years before, you would have thought were supernatural. Yeah. Witchcraft, they were just unbelievable. Um, so there's been a... Ma in, in my career... Right in the middle, there's been this massive change in direction, and uh, thank God I'm still with it. So and when did that? When did you notice that change? Uh, 1990. And did at that point did you think this is something to go with, or the industry's changing? Luckily, uh, I had a lot of pressure from a girlfriend of mine to get myself into Photoshop, which yes, it's very, 
you know, it's, it's the very basis, uh, a very basic part of uh, uh, computer graphics and stuff like that. But I found by getting into that, you you generally get a, a, a bigger, broader view of what's what you know how a lot of the stuff's done. And uh, luckily, a lot of my uh, sort of acquaintances and chums and all that went along with uh, with that as well. And you know, but between the the, the group of us, we sort of. Uh, self-educated ourselves and experienced the, you know, the, the change in visual effects. Well, you're a testament to the power of self-education, that's for sure, Steve. Um, uh, tell us about your first time. When, when, I mean, that moment, I don't know if you can remember, it's perhaps too specific a question. Can you remember the moment where you saw an effect in a film or indeed a TV show that made you think, that's something I want to get involved in? I, I, I can tell you exactly. I, was, I, I went to school with, uh, and, uh, with someone someone's dad who influenced me into uh, getting into the whole business seriously. Um, but just to backtrack, I went to school with this guy and, and uh, we went to see a screening of 2001, A Space Odyssey, which blew me away. I hadn't seen anything like that. And then later that evening, I went on, went on to his dad's cine club, and um, or he was a member of, uh, and uh, saw King Kong, the original 1933 King Kong. In the same day? In the same That's day. Right. And, uh, I, that explains I, it. Double whammy. And that and the Jerry Anderson stuff, which was on telly at the time, Thunderbirds and all that, I just thought, I want to do this stuff. I want to do it. I want to get into it. So you had I an epith- epiphany with it. in one day, effectively. Jerry, pretty much, you, you went, pretty much. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> from, from 2001 yeah. to King Kong to, to, I did, to Thunderbirds. Yeah. yeah, I did. <laughs> And yeah. the industry's never been the same yeah. since. No, I, and me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know if, if maybe some of the audience members here have seen the, the, the very beautiful uh, little uh, feature that was featured in the, the one show uh, last <laughs> year. It was a very, very touching story that you, you went back to kind of, you know, day one. Can you, can you talk us through that? Yeah, uh, the, 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 the guy I was referring to, his dad was a guy called uh, Ian Rintoul who made these epics pretty much uh, on his own at that particular time in his garage in Bangham View in Edinburgh and um, when I found out we had a mutual interest I ended up sort of helping them and we ended up one film in particular we this film started with the Pearl Har- bombing of Pearl Harbor and subsequent uh, um, he- uh, bombing of Hiroshima and it was all in this little film but all shot in a garage and it went on to win a loads and loads of awards um, and because he, he cut it very well and uh, <clears throat> I got the courage to show it to uh, Jerry Anderson of Thunderbirds fame a few years later. And he went, I've seen this. This is epic. I love that. And I got a job based on that. And how had he seen it? Because, I mean, you, you, you go back to the days before, you know, YouTube, the days before social media, these things. It's, it was harder to get things under the right pair of eyes in those days. It was broadcast once on BBC Two. Can't remember, can't remember the year, but everyone influential in my career saw that. And on the other channel, on BBC One, there was Terry Wogan doing a preliminary thing about the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> so you go, well, nobody wanted to watch that rubbish, so they watched their little amateur film. And everyone I met for about 10 years, oh, yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that. You know. So you owe your career to Eurovision, really, don't you? Uh, yes, and, and uh, a guy called Ian Rintoul, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah. and Terry Wogan. From... Uh, from those, from those first, those, uh, those, those first kind of steps into um, creating visuals uh, uh, for screen, tell me how you moved on from there. Because I would imagine there's probably some people in the audience tonight who would consider that they would like to take those first steps as well. 
Well, I, you know, I did the um, the thing that I still think you should do today, which obviously involves more digital uh, sort of uh, technology, you know, cameras and computers and stuff. I got myself a, a movie camera, uh, Super, uh, Super 8 or Standard 8 it was at the time, and then moved on to 16mm, which was semi-professional, and I played around with it, you know, and I uh, did all sorts of things like stop-motion animation, matte paintings and stuff, and I got myself a basic understanding of how that technology works. So when I got the opportunity to actually do a professional job, a lot of the professionals were like, fucking how do you know that? You know, I was like, really impressed by it. Sorry about the swearing. Um, <laughs> um, doesn't have to worry about it, I'm sure. Um, they've all heard it before, probably on some of your films. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder if, um, if you knew now what you knew then in terms of what the industry has become and what working in, in visual stroke special effects is, would you have still been as inclined to get involved or would, would you have felt overawed by that or would it have been even, would you have you know, redoubled your determination to get involved? No. You wouldn't? <laughs> no, no, I, d I, d I don't like it now, to be honest. It's become, I mean, every bloody film now is just wall-to-wall -wall visual effects. You look at Jungle Book and this, that and the other. Um, you know, all the top ten movies at the moment are just, you know, they're, there's way too much work now. And it's, it's, when, I was, it, when I became interested in it, it was like an art form. It was like a, an art or a craft and there was genuine talent doing it. There was like people like Ray Harryhausen, who pretty much do everything you saw on the screen by himself, pretty much. And nowadays there's like, and I've got to say, so even the films I work on now, there's about four or 500 people doing this stuff. And it doesn't have the same impact, I have to say. The same impact on the audience or the same impact on you? Both, I think. I think, you know, you can show the audience absolutely stunning stuff now. And if they don't get the film, they don't get the effects. In fact, it's interesting reading reviews about films uh, um, that they don't like with magnificent effects. Uh, the effects are rubbish as well. And then there's films where the effects are rubbish, but the, the film's good, good script, good acting. And the effects are good as well, do, do, if yeah. you see what I mean. Yeah. So they're just a tool in the background now. They're not, you know... Sorry, I'm being a bit negative about it. Well, well, I know it's, it's very interesting that you would say that because I think most people would, would, would guess that you because you, you have been so successful and you are so well known in that part of the industry that it, it must be something that you love, but it's quite the opposite. To answer your question again, another level, is I love working on films where people think there's no visual effects, mm -hmm. like the James Bond films, because they always go, it's all done for real, it's all in camera, you know, it's all that. I don't mind. I don't mind being a backroom boy, knowing that that's all fake. You know, and, and what have you, but, you know, the hopefully, not always, but hopefully, you know, the public go, that was an amazing stunt, when it wasn't. It was like a little bit of help from us. Yeah. So I like that. I get a kick out of that, I have to say. But before the world of, uh, of CGI, um, Steve, can you think back to a moment um, when you were working with slightly more primitive kit um, at your disposal, uh, something that, that stands out as a, as a favourite moment or a favourite favorite scene in a film? Um, well, I worked on uh, the original Batman, you know, the Tim Burton, well, I say original, original Batman feature. And uh, there's one shot in particular where um, you see the, the, the Batwing does this triumphant kind of jump out of these clouds and stops just for a nanosecond in front of the moon and it becomes the iconic mm -hmm. um, sort of uh, Batman uh, logo. And then before it drops back into these terrible 
cotton wool clothes that I did. And uh, I just love the fact that that appeared on the, the Batman soundtrack, if you remember Prince yeah, did yeah. all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I, I just chuffed, I thought, I've arrived, <laughs> you know, doing this terrible shot, but uh, it's become iconic. And uh, that was pre-digital, that was a long time ago. Do you find yourself able to enjoy films, or do you, you know, if you go to the movies on a Friday night, I don't know if you do, Christmas holiday and all that, but, you know, can you, can you, can you, uh, can you suspend uh, the, the knowledge that you have and the, the, the kind of critical appraisal of what you're seeing based no. on how you know it works? No, I can't. I prefer films without visual effects, or I like films with a smattering, you know, like they're in the background and stuff like that. Um, I can't stand the Marvel films. For a, although I did like Deadpool, I have to say. Uh, I thought it was a clever script. Yep. Um, uh, and, I, you know, again, script. The script, acting, performance, it actually it overshadows the, what's the terrific effects that are going on in the background. But I can't stand it when the effects are the stars in a lot of those movies. So I, I don't like them. And, and the reason I like the Bond movies is I like the fact it's stunts, it's practical, it's this, it's, it, you know with a bit of help of, in the background. And I, albeit I say I get a little bit annoyed about it, I quite like that. I quite like the fact that nobody notices the, the, yeah. the amount of visual effects. I mean, the last three Bond films that I worked on, um, they're, they're still touted as primarily practical, uh, uh, you know, real effects movies, which I'm very happy with, and they are. Um, but I, I like the fact that every now and again we slip in a really cool effect and nobody notices, hopefully. You know? I know there's some stuff that you go, well, there's no way they do that for real, but there's some stuff you, you wouldn't get, you just wouldn't notice. I even, I, you know, thinking back to the, to the, the featurette and the one show, you know, when you're, when you're back oh, yeah. and, and you're, yeah. your pal's dad's back yeah. garden and yeah. you're, you know, you're filming the, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and Portobello mm. Beach and whatever. Watching that, it's, it's remarkably believable, you know, and it was so yeah. rudimentary, you know. He, he my, my, my mate's dad has to take a lot of the credit, you know, to be honest. He kind of drove the whole thing. But he inspired me in such a way that I thought, I'm getting such a kick out of this. I want to go on and do this professionally. And luckily, uh, the next kind of gig I had, even though that was just helping out because he was a friend, uh, was uh, with Jerry Anderson, so you know, and and he exploited my enthusiasm, but I loved it. I, I thought it was great, you know. How did he exploit your enthusiasm? Um, he just he just re realised, hopefully, that in me there was someone very passionate about this stuff. I mean, I like blowing things up. Uh, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> Any scale. Were you the kind of kid that was throwing things yes. out the bedroom window? Yes. Seen how they landed? Did all that. Okay. Uh, sit far at the bedroom curtains, did all that, yeah, that sort of stuff, yeah. Did the whole lot. He actually asked me that. He said, uh, did you uh, have any trouble with your... And I'm like, yeah, yeah, all that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> so when I, you know, I, I worked with him on a thing called Terrorhawks, uh, which is kind of like a sub-Thunderbird thing. Now, I feel we should cut the audience in on the conversation you and I have had already. Well, I know you're a fan. Yeah. I was a huge fan of Terrorhawks, and I, I didn't realise that you were involved in it, so when I... When I did realise that. I was 19. I, I was, I was a that. fan of the Bond films and everything, Steve, but you know, Terrorbox. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big deal. You're sad. <laughs> Does anyone else remember Terrorbox? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, a few, uh, <laughs> I, I sent a, a friend, a, a, a dear friend, a picture of Zelda the other day when she, when she irritated me and she says she can't get it out of her memory now. Um, uh, 
Yeah, sorry, that took you off on a tangent there. Terrahawks, let's go back to that. No, Terrahawks was like going to film school for me. <laughs> yeah, I was basically, you know, uh, I had to deliver four, five, or six, or seven shots a day for Jerry Anderson and um, blowing things up invariably, you know, flying things across alien landscapes and this, that, and the other. But it was primarily the explosions and stuff. I just really, and he could tell I was really enthusiastic. I go, can I do that again? It didn't quite blow up right. He went, I thought it looked good. I'm like, can I do it again? And he'd go, yeah, okay. Right, okay. And, it, you know, he, so he, 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 he exploited me, but I exploited him. Yeah. It was kind of like the start of my career as well. Okay, well, that seems like a, a good time to, to cross over into uh, visual support. Uh, Duncan, we do have some pictures of Terra but before that, could you explain? Uh, yeah, this is me with my big rocket. <laughs> uh, that's actually made out of a, a drain pipe. Um, PVC. Was so it Terrahawks? No, no, pre. No, this is pre all that. No, 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 no. Look at the slender no, youth. Of course, yeah. Uh, and uh, it was made out of a, a, a sort of something that would be connected to your bog. And at the bottom there were egg cups, um, chrome egg cups. And the whole thing looked really good uh, until you started to move it around. It all fell apart and everything. But it looked good in my little amateur films. Good enough to get me a job with Jerry Anderson. So. And that leads us nicely to... Uh, and this is the film I was talking about earlier where we did this <coughs> 29 6 to 0 uh, Ian's film um, where uh, you basically start with the bombing of Pearl Harbor and subsequent <coughs> nuclear bombing, first was our second nuclear attack of uh, Hiroshima. Uh, and this is a BBC film crew who were like really impressed with the film. In fact, it was, it was post it being transmitted on BBC Two. And they came and filmed us recreating a lot okay. of this stuff. That's a, a airfix kit. How did you, of course, that's, how did you uh, recreate <laughs> the uh, the bombing of Hiroshima, the actual moment of impact? How did you manage that? Um, from my bedroom, I actually shot with this camera uh, a nice sky, and then I rewound the film, and then I animated a big kind of nuclear explosion effect. And uh, so I got used to all this kind of cam camera trickery, which <coughs> good me put me in good stead with uh, Jerry Anderson, like. A year or two later. I was in my element then. I was totally, I couldn't believe I was getting paid for it. And, uh, and this is there, one of the craft I designed, uh, a thing called a vehicle uh, called the Overlander, which was my homage to Thunderbirds and all the big vehicles and stuff like that. In fact, just quick story, uh, this impressed the guy who did Thunderbirds, who, uh, special effects on Thunderbirds so well, uh, a guy called Derek Meadows, who was doing the James Bond and the Batman and all that kind of stuff. He gave me a job, so I ended up working with my mentor. This? This thing, yeah, in particular. Magnificent. Yeah. So we can very, relate very it all back to Terry Wogan and Thunderbirds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, then this is a, a shot from a Thunderbirds commercial um, where we had to, you know, uh, I think it was for Swinton, Swinton Insurance or something. So when like. would this have been? This is probably a few years later, 19, I don't know. Because Terrahawks was the late 80s, 80s early 90s. Mid 80s, yeah, okay. yeah. And yeah. This is probably late 80s. Which, you know, Thunderbirds, most people associate that with, you know. A 60s. Mm -hmm. I was at primary school. So. so that must have felt like, you know, sort of, you know childhood wish fulfillment. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe I was doing this stuff, yeah. Absolutely. You've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned Batman already. We've got some uh, images from Batman. We don't have any any footage, but if we could have a look at some of those. 
There's some real, uh, you know, it's some geek fulfilment here. And I so, so what happened was, what, uh, when I went to bat on to Batman, is I went from the, the Jerry Anderson kind of models this big, cars that big, where you pulled along on a wire, to things like this, which were five foot long, radio controlled. If that hit you in the ankle, it would break it. You know, and uh, there's a lot of car chase stuff, particularly on the rooftop sequence in uh, Batman Begins. It's all done in this model. And Chris Nolan, who's a notoriously difficult director to get on with, treating, he was really, really nice to me. You know, he really was impressed. To the point he got me up to, in fact, you'll see some, I think you've, I think you've got a picture in there. He, he, he was shooting, some, that, that one. He was shooting some stuff on the full-scale Batmobile, this thing here. Uh, and um, he went, you do it, you do it. And it was all close-up stuff. He said, you just seem to photograph it really well. So um, I, I, was, I directed most of the Batmobile stuff on this film um, with his approval, I have to say. And uh, I was well chuffed, as you can imagine. I'm sure. This thing was also jacked up, just so you know, see the jacks there? Yeah. So the, tires, the wheels can still do that. And it, was, uh, it had a Camaro 5.6 engine in it, you know, American sports car. And that thing could shift, and it was pretty scary. You know. So were you involved to, to any extent in the design? No, no not at this point. No, no, no. no it's, this is all grown-up stuff. When I was doing the Jerry Anderson stuff there, yeah, yeah. Didn't let you with this one? They wouldn't trust me. <laughs> and at that point, in your, you, know, you've, you've, you must realise at that point in your career that things are taking off. You know, you've... Uh, hopefully, yeah, yeah. I'd actually literally left a Jerry Anderson production, which was a CGI uh, Captain Scarlet remake, to do this. And the, the good thing about this is it introduced me to... The special effects team that did the Bond films, who put a good word in for me for Casino Royale. Okay. Yeah. And Casino Royale is where we're going to go next. Now we have a, a clip for you uh, just now, ladies and gentlemen, a five-minute clip of all the best bits. This is the opening sort of action sequence, uh, and the background for all these precarious shots was basically a lot of stills that I shot off a crane in the Bahamas. We were out there for uh, six, seven weeks. Um, it was, uh, I have to say, it was quite amazing. Um, it, it, this was literally the first stuff shot on the film, and I was still of the Pierce, uh, Pierce Brosnan kind of mentality. I didn't think he would be right, you know, Daniel Craig. Okay, yeah. But then we saw like a quick cut of all the action sequence to music, and we thought, he's cool. Yeah. He's going to be something else. And to what extent, you know, when, when, you, when you've got... When you have to actually uh, present that stunt, for example, you see uh, mm. the, the, you know, dangling from the crane, yeah. what, you know, how do you visualise exactly how that's going to come about for you? Well, I get a lot of grief uh, trying to talk the director and everyone, the art department, everyone in it, shooting that a certain way. Uh, and then, then hopefully they do, which they did on this film in particular. A lot of other films they don't. And, um, and then... You know, ultimately you, you get like a really good effect. Um, a lot of the time I seriously have a problem trying to tell them how to shoot stuff properly, which is why these films cost a lot of money. So they, 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 what happens is they shoot it one way. If they shoot it the right way, you, uh, you, you, know, you, you spend all your time and money and effort making sh stuff look good. But what's happening more and more these days is they don't care how this stuff's shot and they bang it out and then they just give it to us and they go fix it. And uh, so it, there's, 
sorry I'm being a bit down again about all this, but there, there is a retrograde thing with CGI in that the filmmaking is becoming very sloppy. They don't care. When they see a lighting shot, they don't care. Just leave it. We'll paint it out later. Whereas in the old days, when I first started, they'd shoot stuff properly. And this film was on like the crossover point where everything was shot properly, as far as uh, I was concerned. I'm going to come back to that in a, in a second. But, sure. but, the, the, but the, the, the scenes that we're seeing here at the moment, I found these very fascinating to, to look through. You know, but they're utterly convincing. You think these people are here, but here they are. They're green screen. You know, yeah. when you're watching that movie, you think it's people stunting to get out of the way and things. Yeah, it's quite. Uh, it's, that's good. That guy's that guy up there as well. It's, it's the same guy three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him, him, him outside. People are listening to uh, music and accessing films in a in a, in a in a different medium now. They're watching them on their yeah. the handheld devices Definitely. and so on. So maybe the quality isn't as important to them, or is it just cost cutting? No, it's it's. They're not aware of the effort that goes into behind the scenes putting this stuff together. It's all geeks in a room with uh, on computers. They don't care. Um, and whereas in the old days they realised, they, they, they knew they had to shoot something properly because if they didn't, it would look crap. Mm. Right? Uh, nowadays, they don't give a toss because uh, given a bit of money and time, you can do anything now. You can absolutely, you know, do you know what I mean? You yeah. just, so there, there isn't the same discipline that there used to be. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, this was the best experience of my life, uh, this film. And the subsequent bonds were fun as well, you know, they, they, but they, they all got tougher because everyone, can, in, in, over the years, gets lazier and uh, it's, it's sort of depressing. But that's why these visual effects cost a lot of money now. It is very interesting to hear this, um, that, 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 you know, that there is that uh, conflict, if you like, that's yeah. quite apparent. Um, some of us, I guess, wouldn't have thought that that would be the case. Um, and no, no one's aware of it. You only hear about, you, you only see the end result. But there's a lot of effort gone there to get there. Sorry, there's a lot of effort expended to get there. Let's talk about what we're seeing in front of us now, uh, the destruction of, uh, of Venice. This was a third-scale um, uh, model of uh, a piazza, or whatever it's called, yeah. on the edge of the Grand Canal in uh, Venice. And uh, to some people, it was so realistic that the producers got a bollocking about destroying <laughs> a real building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is, it's terrifically realistic. We'll have some stills following this, though, that will give a little bit more of the game I, away, I think. I mean, the nice thing is that, I, I, that, that was all done with models, big ones, I have to say. In fact, I think you've got a good picture of everyone. We do. We have that. Uh, that's one of the, the final slides here. But this is. Yeah, tell so tell us a bit about what, what we're actually seeing here in terms <coughs> of scale and, and, and so on and what, what, what these buildings this are, is are composed of. This is a third scale, seven ton lump model on top of a hydraulic rig that's, which will sink this thing into a 12 foot deep, deep part of the Pinewood tank, paddock tank. Right, so we can go up and down, do various takes and stuff like that, uh, and um, you know, it, uh, what, what was particularly good is that the weather we had in Venice when I shot the Venice bit of it was identical to what we had here for a few days, and the moment we finished 
shooting and stuff. Literally, it was cut. These thunderclouds came over, and we had two weeks of torrential rain. But if you watch the film, this stuff lines up so, so you know, so well that um, we looked like we were geniuses. But I, th I think we were just lucky. Yeah. I love the fact that people were so convinced by it that they thought you'd, you know, you'd ruined a oh, yeah, yeah. historical site. Yeah. Hey, can we move on to the Oh, next? there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It lines up. All, all the, oh, just, just quick thing is that all the shadows and everything all line up you know, magically. So when the, th the whole thing's like uh, put together, um, you can't see an obvious kind of you can't see matte line, yeah, yeah. Okay. as we call it. Okay, so uh, we've got some clips now from uh, from Skyfall, which has um, some again some quite breathtaking effects. If we can have a look at those. Yeah, just so you know what you're looking at. The reason all this stuff's here is this is the cut that the uh, editor was doing on a thing, uh, Avid computer. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily exactly what you saw in this cinema, but it's pretty close, but it has a lot of the final effects in it, uh, which I'm very proud of, you know, again. It's a lovely intermix of uh, models and full scale. So basically, it's a third scale uh, miniature model blowing up. This stuff, the helicopter, everything. Helicopter's on a hydraulic rig, and we ram it into uh, this model, and it's... Uh, starts to blow up, then on location uh, in a big field in somewhere in England, um, Chris Corbell and these guys blew up using dynamite um, a real building. Uh, well, not a real building, a, a yeah, full-scale set. This is all full-scale. Full-scale, okay. It's uh, it's 22 sticks of dynamite and 400 gallons of petrol. Uh, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not in your pal's dad's. Shed now with us. I mean, no, what, what, what was great is that fireball went up into the sky and it took five minutes for all the embers to rain down on top of us. It was quite something. Is really this the one that's the biggest explosion in movie history? No, that's coming. That's coming next. <laughs> okay. Now, this is one of the most memorable explosions in movie history. Yeah, I guess. it's another one. It's, again, it's, to me, it's a nice marry up of models and uh, real and uh, digital effects. Can we pause it just there, Duncan? I wonder at that point when you saw the script, do you still does the does the inner child, if you like, still course, you know, yes. have Absolutely. moments where you can't believe yes. what you've been allowed to do? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Was this one of those? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was spotted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, lo I love all that stuff. I mean, I, it's interesting, actually. It 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 was it's to me, it's so successful that the director of Casino Royale guy called Martin Campbell, who's a bit bitter about this film, um, slagged it off and said it looked very CGI. Okay. It's real. It's huge. Well, I think you've got some pictures. We do. You, yeah, we do. Uh, and it's a, be a big one. And I spent ages trying to design pack, yeah. with Chris Corbell's special effects people um, a really good, believable explosion. And uh, even, you know, even I have to say, sitting as close, I think the flames look good. Yeah. But it's still a model. So it's all real, but because it looks so convincing, a lot of people said it looked CGI, which was really weird, which is a compliment for CGI, you know, insult for us. Right, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. I'm trying to keep it real, and they're going, no, it looks fake. Yeah, that's the thing. People are, people are so used to seeing that now that their exactly. brains are yeah. tricked into thinking it's the other thing. Um, 
for for anyone who uh, maybe doesn't know, and I can't imagine there are many of them in the audience, explain briefly if you can the green screen process. Um, the, 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 it's, it's well, basically, it's a uh, it's a color difference system. In that, um, if you have like grey or reds or whatever, whatever, you, and the, 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 what you're doing is you're isolating the colour there, so you have a green here which is not reflected in any of that stuff, so you can actually separate the two. You can create like a, 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 a silhouette or a mat or whatever, and you pull the, the, the whole thing apart, so the explosion and all the debris could be separated from this particular image and then superimposed on top of the shot that we, we did in Vauxhall um, two, three months before. From there, from them, we mirrored the camera angle, albeit of third scale, um, at Pinewood. Um, so the reason we use blue and green is just there. If, if that colour is not uh, literally in the foreground, you know these elements and stuff like that, it can be isolated, and you create a window that you can overlay um, behind a, a what have you. This image. Did that make sense? Yeah, it didn't I, make sense I, to me. I think so. <laughs> Let's go through it all again. Steve. <laughs> um, I wonder, uh, you know, tell me with, with something like this, is it a case that you get one shot at that? We had two. You had two. Okay. Yeah, we had crap weather one day, and uh, the explosion went left, uh, right, really fast, and then I, I begged them for us. Uh, for a second go, and I got loads of grief from Barbara Broccoli and everyone. I mean, really, I've got a hard time. <laughs> and uh, we, we cobbled this thing together, and the weather was fantastic. And what you're not seeing is just behind the, ca uh, the camera is another bad weather system coming in, just about ruining the shot. But luckily, I got it. And also, the good thing was I wanted like really flat lighting, or like a grey overcast day. If you look at the original explosion, it's got similar sort of lighting on it. Day. So the two marry up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is a post-production train sequence. Oh, yeah. Talk yeah, so, again, this is a sort of very rough version. So it, it's probably something that's literally come out of the editing mm -hmm. AVID system. Um, but, um, again, it's what the wall effects... I mean, uh, that, that tunnel didn't exist. Um, Daniel was never on top of that train. <laughs> what, are they, um, what are they on when they're filming this thing? Uh, they're filming stuntmen, and we are putting a computer-generated version of his face on top, Wonderful, face yeah. replacement on top of that. And, uh, and then off it goes. And that, this shot I'm quite proud of, because yeah. we have to blend up. So that's a CGI Daniel Craig, and then... A, and then I dropped a big weight in a, in a river in Turkey and we kind of married the whole thing together. So it's great, you know. Yeah. Very, very convincing indeed. Mm. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think some, when you get as close to this, when you yeah. probably find it, when you get as close to this, to you know, finding out exactly how a scene was built, exactly how the, the effects were, were yeah. applied to it, do, do, do you feel you're, you're, you know, you're ruining the magic? Yes. Anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you should be showing this photograph. <laughs> You're ruining it. I don't know why we're doing it. Um, no, but it, the interesting story about this, though, the, these things were created using, you know, the rapid prototype sort of system and stuff, and, that, and the Bond lot at one point ended up selling them 
you know, you know, creating them for I can't remember charities and yeah. things like that. But it was the first time it had been done. Things m made basically as a kit, and then a group of model makers put the whole thing together. But it was awesome, and I uh, I nicked one for a little while and put it in my garage and. And I thought, no, 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 I just, I knew what they were like, and I just thought, I better give it back. And, and lo and behold, he said, have you seen that, that, that DB5 that was blown up in the film? Uh, one we, of our DB5s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a shame, you think, it's Oh, and uh, uh, this is... This is terrific. This is sort of the crossover area that I occupy a lot. Uh -huh. Well, more and more, actually, it's CGI. Uh, and it's Javier Bardem, and we had to do a sequence where he pulls, uh, I think his upper or lower jaw out, and he wanted to see the whole side of his face kind of uh, concave in. And how did you do that then? It's entirely CGI, and uh, he, he had a, like a minimal uh, tooth prosthetic that he put in, but that metal and everything has been added in afterwards. I'll be honest with you, again, these are tests, these are not what you see in the film. Mm. Um, so that's why it looks maybe a bit rough. I, I thought it's much more interesting than looking at the, to me. And the, you know, the whole face just falls in. He's a very handsome man. So it was quite interesting to actually muck about with this sort of stuff. Um, okay, into uh, Spectre, we have some, uh, uh, some footage from Spectre. It's four and a half minutes. It's probably uh, one of the most memorable uh, oh, shots in, in, uh, in, modern, in modern cinema, I would say. It's certainly one of my favourites, so let's, uh, let's have a look at it. it, it you, is, can, you can tell us with the joiners. Yeah, it, it, it is, but it's, a, it's like a technique that's used more and more, and that's like blending the shots together. Yeah. Uh, but we were hit with this one a little bit by surprise. You know, and Sam Mendes wanted to open the big grand shot uh, at this festival in Mexico, and then blend it through into Bond, um, basically winding himself up to assassinate somebody. And it was like, what? They don't do that in Bond films. So, but this is, this is kind of like my hero project. Um, I wasn't blowing anything up, although the building blows up later on. And um, so we have like a on location in Mexico City um, openings uh, shot and um, I have to say this is the most spectacular shoot I've ever been on in my life. Everything you're seeing here, apart from some work in the wider part there, is real. Music, everything was being played live. So um, there was Almost a real fantastic yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. Um, you know, the, so anyway, this shot in particular is shot off a techno crane, if anyone knows about that. And it's following him and then we're one part of Mexico City, we're near the Zocalo Square, if anyone knows where that is, and it wipes into a hotel in another part of Mexico with Daniel again, and steady coming up towards this uh, elevator, um, <clears throat> primarily in camera, um, again a lot of work. Um, Steadicam guy walks into the lift with them, very tight, shooting on an Ari Alexa, very mini, if anyone knows about that. And uh, so that's two shots. But your involvement in this stage, at very this stage. heavily. I had to make sure he, that the end of one shot had to blend into the beginning of the incoming shot, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So that's where my work came in. In fact, this is a cracker, this one, I think. We're lucky as well. 
Does anyone have a question for Steve? Yes. Uh, hi. Uh, I was just wondering, like, what do you think the future of visual effects is going to be? Do you think it's going to be like a merge of practical with CGI, like the, the Star Wars? Um, well, um, I mean, they lie through their teeth about Star Wars. I mean, the <clears throat> the the they start with practical, but they, in, invariably the director goes in and goes, I don't really like that, can we change it? Um, so it's going to be mainly CGI, I think. I mean, it's sort of heading inexorably towards that. And, uh, you know, they'll say, we're going to have all the creatures are going to be done with animatronics and makeup and everything. And the moment that thing doesn't quite work, it's replaced with CGI. Mm. And the thing is with CGI, you just have immense control, really. The other side of that is you can tell when somebody's been fiddling about with something and that's why it looks fake as well. Usually a few years later, you know, you, you see something that's like really impressive and then you see the same film five years later, you go, I thought that looked good, but it doesn't look that good. It, CGI dates really quick, but I think it's not ever going to go away. I suppose the thing is, you look back at some of the, some of the, the movies... Um, one of, one of my favourite films is Superman the movie, and the scene, you know, I've since learned how they did the helicopter scene where, where Lois Lane's uh-huh. fallen from the, you know, and it's all just two foot off the ground at Pinewood Studios, but it's it's completely believable. Yeah. You know, and I, I think some of those scenes now would perhaps be done by CGI and it, it bear out exactly what you were saying. They, uh, and what would happen is the, that that was kind of shot in a semi realistic way. What they do now is that, you know, if that was Lois Lane, the camera would be doing that and all of that, and it'd be flying around, and then when she falls, it'd be falling with her. You go, that doesn't look real. Yeah. In fact, that's the biggest giveaway, is the camera moves are just crap. You know, and, and, and honestly, I, it's an ageist thing from an old fart, but I think a lot of the directors have got used to video game moves, and they're introducing them into movies. And not everyone... Uh, you know, thinks that way, yeah. and they see the stuff and they go, "That oh, looks crap." It yeah. Didn't look real, yeah. even though it's beautifully done. You know, it's rendered, it's realistic, it's lit, everything. Because you, you know, in your head, you couldn't shoot that. But so I think that's a big giveaway: yep. the camera moves. Yep. Any other questions? Hello. Oh, uh, you mean overall? It can be probably about 800 people um, but, <clears throat> but, but I've got to say that there, there are big groups of people within companies that, you know like on Skyfall we had like oh, 8 to 10 companies we had industrial like Magic you must have heard of ILM and, mm-hmm. and various uh, double negative and everything you know so they they look you know they look after portions of work but I'm nonetheless I'm the client and I go in and I give them a hard time and but um, during the shoot, uh, there's probably about, I don't know, about a dozen, you know, so, but all in all, it's quite a lot of people. I get fed up walking around Soho in London with people going, hello, Steve, hello, Steve, hello, Steve, and I don't know who they are, but I'm, <laughs> I'm hello. You're the boss. They're all very nice. Uh, yes. Um, what do you think of, like, American productions, film in Scotland? Is that Brilliant. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Is, it, is it easy to make Scotland look like America, though? Or yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, they're doing it in Ireland, Wales, and everything, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So, aren't, aren't they doing a film studio here? No, it's supposed to be. <laughs> no, they're not. Have <laughs> we got another hour? <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any more questions for the floor? Yes. 
Oh yeah. Before I moved to Scotland, I was teaching some uh, digital compositing and VFX at a university in Ireland. Oh yeah. Is there anything either specific or broadly you would say that is missing from graduates that they should be being taught that you don't see? Yeah, or is yeah. it too broad? Uh, well, it is, it is a bit broad, but very quickly, um, I think everyone in visual effects, 3D and 2D, should really look more and more at real stuff all the time, not games. I'm getting it all the time. Um, they can't tell the difference between, you know, I, for example, we've just done a load of shots, which I think look, now look great, um, of somebody driving to work, and we shot green screen, you know, fake, you know, inside a, uh, a car on a stage with green, and we shot some backgrounds in New York, and uh, they had to, you know, obviously marry the whole thing together, and the comper's first pass was like, don't you know what cameras do? You know, you know, if you get an exposure on the inside, the outside will overexpose, or vice versa. You know that, and that's what I feel is missing a lot. That the, and that goes for 3D people as well. Um, I don't think they're looking at enough real stuff, how things behave. For, uh, another quick example: we got a train crash in my current film, and it's all CGI. And the first kind of, we're talking about um, 100. And, so 80 ton carriages flipping up, right? First, first pass on the animation was that, and I kind of boomed it like that. And I thought, that was like a toy. You know, and we slowed it on like three times, so this thing's like doing that. And, you know, it started to get there. And, and, and they got it, they're, and they're doing a brilliant job now. But I just feel that a lot of animators, a lot of compositors, don't look at enough real stuff. Um, I, that's my broad. So they set fire at the curtains and things? That's what I did. <laughs> I suppose I'd just following on from that question, one thing I did mean to ask you earlier was if you know if you were giving advice to someone at nineteen, uh, now what would what would be the, the most important piece of advice you could give them? Right. Um, again, get your own system, After Effects or Nuke or whatever they've got, you can get now. Dabble about with it yourself at home. Uh, get yourself a good grounding in it. Watch all the real stuff I was telling you about. And create a, you know, get yourself a, a reel of stuff, get your foot in the door. I mean, it's a massive industry now. It's not, when I started, it was like um, probably half a dozen people kind of in charge, you know. Uh, there was companies stuff, but it was very small scale. Uh, but now it's colossal. You know, the turnovers in millions. I mean, look at the uh, Fantastic Beasts. Uh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Jungle Book. Uh, da, 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 they're masses. They're huge productions now, employing hundreds and hundreds of people worldwide. But there's 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 thousands here as well. So it's a huge colossal business. Do we have time for another couple of quick questions? One more quick question. There's a bar show. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you if. Um well, I wonder whether you worked on Diana the Day and the shot where the, no, the, river, the river came down. And I noticed the same thing in the MI6 building going up is, is in the river. And the river going down in Diana the Day, where it's supposed to be North Korea or South Korea at the border, you, you see uh, various bits go over of a dam, and you can tell the difference in scale. And it's a bit the same as that when you actually saw your model going up in the wood. Do, does anybody attempt to do anything in CGI, and it's maybe unique to me that I've noticed it, but I'm not explaining that, um, you can tell that the stuff's about full scale because 
the stuff coming out is, is too big to be lifted to everything else. It's bad in dying other days, not bad in what you showed. Uh, yeah, I, 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 well, you, you're one of the few then. Um, I have to say, um, most people seem to like the MI6 explosion stuff. Uh, and the die another day thing had the big one element you can't control is water. Yeah. You talk about the, the, the water. The, the water was all, the water, the water in the wood was part of the dam. None of them went to the right scale. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and if, if you look at um, Casino Royale when the house is collapsing, all the splashes, what I did was we, we I got the special effects guys to throw car, car engines into this tank and film the, explode, uh, the splashes and put them on top of the model splashes because you can tell the water, the water globules and things like that give it away. Um, I'm not entirely sure I agree with you about the explosion on the MI6 thing. Um, you're one of the few, I have to say. Yeah. But thank you very much for expanding yeah, on Indeed, and thank you very much, Steve, for, uh, for everything tonight. Um, it's been a fascinating insight for me and I'm sure for everyone else here. So a uh, round of applause, ladies and gentlemen, for Steve. <laughs>